0: What's exciting for me about season two of High on the Hog is that we've now included queerness in the story of Black food and culture. It shouldn't be radical, but it is because you didn't see Black people on TV talking about food and their culture, but you damn sure didn't see queer people, queer Black
1: people, Welcome to The Steven Satterfield Show, part of Whetstone Radio Collective. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the second season of The Steven Satterfield Show. It's been way too long, and that is my fault. I've been a little busy. Maybe you just saw the second season of High on the Hog. In case you did not, you can tune into Netflix, where it lives. I hope you enjoy the second season. It was a lot more personal and it was a much different experience of having living luminaries, living ancestors as crux of the show. And I'm still sitting with a lot of those conversations and scenes. The experience was just so massive in so many ways. So if you want to know more about it, I'm happy to answer your questions. But for now, we can get this season started with an interview with High on the Hog director Roger Ross Williams, who has had a long and incredible career in film and television. Roger is a star in his own movie. He has just completed his first scripted film, Cassandro on Amazon Prime featuring Gael Garcia Bernal and Bad Bunny. Roger is in a beautiful period of renaissance in his career, and it was just a joy to capture him in this moment. We will get it started with Roger Ross Williams. Next up, spilling all the tea on all the things high on the hog and much more. For people who are listening who don't know, the reason that I know Roger is as the director of High on the Hog, the person who developed me um, in my role as the host in ways I didn't really see myself. So thank you for that, Roger.
0: First of all, Stephen, it's a pleasure to talk to you. It's always a pleasure to see you and hang out. Do you remember we met here in Amsterdam I do. for the first time?
1: I do remember.
0: We met in Amsterdam where I am right now. We met here for the first time And I remember you bought me an amazing bottle of wine. It was uh, organic wine. Sounds
1: on brand. um,
0: A book and something else. There were three gifts. The three gifts of Stephen Satterfield. And and I remember that. And we sat there and had our first conversation. (laughs)
1: That's right. You have been in the business of film in some capacity for decades. And of course, along the way, you work with stars. Do you have any consciousness around working with someone like Naomi Campbell, for instance?
0: You know, I've been doing this for a long time, but I didn't get any recognition or from anyone, even after winning the Oscar. No one. I won the Oscar for a film I did in Zimbabwe about a, a severely disabled singer. It was a, a short documentary, and uh, I was sleeping on my friend's couch. I was sleeping on the my business partner Jeff Marts, him and his wife. I was sleeping on their couch after I won the Oscar because no one called me. I got no jobs. Uh, I was broke. And then and that was in
1: what, like 2010?
0: 2010. And that went on for years. And then I decided to make, a, try to make a feature film, which no one was giving me any money. So I had to do it on my own. I got Marilyn Micah in the college in Baltimore to give me a camera and an intern to go to uh, Uganda. Basically then made God Loves Uganda, which was my first documentary feature, which got into Sundance and... You know, started things rolling, but still, no one was paying, no one was giving me anything, paying attention. And it wasn't until I made Life Animated, which is um, a film about an autistic kid who learns to communicate and understand the world through Disney animated films. And then that, that got nominated for an Oscar. After that, things started taking off. And then I started a company, One Story Up. And one of the first shows that we did was High on the Hog. And Karis and Fabian optioned Dr. Jessica B. Harris's book, and they had been taking it around. Uh, Adam Deldeo at Netflix said, You should go to Roger Ross Williams. Cause he'll he'll develop he'll develop this. And they came to me. I was like, oh no, 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 no. We're gonna change this. We're gonna tap into this black food movement and these young, incredible bloggers and chefs. And they they take their clues from the past, from the, the ancestors and history, and they're gonna take us back there. And then we were like, we gotta find a host. And Netflix said, Let's get a celebrity host. Then they said, What do you think about Pharrell? How about Pharrell can host it? And I was like, um, uh, no. I was like, that's not going to work. First of all, Pharrell's not a chef. He's actually now a fashion designer. Yeah, he's busy. But he's not a chef. He's he's also a very busy man. Uh, and went through all these, they went through all these celebrities. And then Karis and Fabian, who are plugged in and know the food world, and I was not, we had a, a whole bunch of names and like some links to people. And I was watching him, And she, they said, Check out this guy, Steven Satterfield, and it was you going back to the original first grapevine or something in, in Georgia. and I was like, "Oh my God, I love this guy's energy and he's brilliant and he's just he's smart, he has some depth. This is it. I mean, there was no question. this is it. And they were like, well, you should look at this person and that person that And I was like, no. So I called Netflix and I said, I found this guy. Steven Satterfield, Zana Lawrence, as executive at Netflix, she goes, "Oh my god!" She actually, her words were, "I'm obsessed with Steven Satterfield," <laughs> and I was
1: like, "Done." Vice versa.
0: But then I had to convince the big wigs, the decision makers, to to do this series, and they only go by like algorithms and what's on, and they were like, "There's nothing like this," and I was like, "Okay." Now I had all this capital. I had been elected governor of the documentary branch of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Science. So now I'm like in a position of power because I sit at the table that runs the Oscars with Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. And I'm like, I'm a gatekeeper now. And I've suddenly got my my power. So I said to the big shots at Netflix, okay, do it as a favor. Literally, I said, do it as a favor. You know, we are friends. And they're like, okay, you know, we'll do it. The algorithm people were saying, no way, no way you can, we can do this show. This show, absolutely not. But as a favor, because I had capital then, I used it and I said, do it as a favor to me. They're like, okay. And the rest is history.
1: <laughs> Look at that. Appreciate that, Roger. <laughs> Thanks for looking out, man. Thanks for looking out. <laughs> Of course. I've seen your advocacy. I know, I believe you advocated for me in those meetings because I've seen you do it for other talent, especially behind the camera as well, which is such a big part of the industry that's not seen in the way of diversity. You've directed your first film, Cassandro, which I just saw this week, amazing film, and a huge accomplishment.
0: I have this insatiable need to challenge to go into places that I fear the most. The things that I'm most terrified of, I dive into And sink or swim. I'm either going to sink or swim. And one of the things I feared was scripted work and actors. And, you know, it's so different than documentary. And many documentarians have made scripted films and failed, you know, like the skills that doesn't cross over very well. And because of that, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to do this. And I gave myself extra challenges. Like I decided I'm going to do it in a language I don't speak in a country, it's not my country, it's not my culture. And Cassandro's about a cross-dressing, effeminate, gay, lucha libre wrestler. It's based on a true story. There's a real Cassandro and it was a New Yorker, massively successful New Yorker profile, kind of like your own, (laughs) 6,000 word New Yorker profile, you know? And I read it and I was like, oh my God. And the New Yorker was doing a series, where they were turning the magazine into like a series on Amazon. You could pick any article in The New Yorker from 1922 till now, to the whole history of The New Yorker, make a 15-minute documentary. So Julie Goldman, my longtime producer, and I chose Cassandra. And the first day I was shooting the documentary, I, I don't know, something hit me. Something spoke to me and said, this is your first feature scripted film. And I announced it to Cassandra like two hours into the interview. I said, wait, stop. You're my first scripted film. And Cassandra was like, great. Oh my God. And it was, there was something magical. It's the same thing I felt when I saw you for the first time on that tape. There's a inner energy and light and and there's this charismatic, there's something that I can't explain that about Cassandro that I saw that was really special. And I was like, you should be a film and you should be a scripted film. And I then had to set out to figure out how to do it, which was this great challenge. And then I had to figure out how to write a screenplay because I had never written a screenplay. So I called my editor from Life Animated and I said, let's, have you written a screenplay before? He's like, no. I was like, let's try to write it together. And we wrote it together.
1: Unbelievable! And <laughs> how, how long did it take to to write?
0: It took years because I thought it was. I just thought like a couple, like maybe a couple weeks or a month. You you kind of write a screenplay. So I called Sundance because I also have been on the board of Sundance, and I have had a, films at Sundance. I. Called them. I called the head of the labs. They have some screenwriting labs, and they have directing labs, and lots of different labs. The head of all those labs is this woman named Michelle Satter. And I called Michelle, and I said, "I want to do the screenwriting lab." And she said, "Do you have a screenplay?" And I said, "No. Um, do I have to have a screenplay to, to, to apply to the screenwriting lab?" It's the most coveted. You can't get. It's twelve thousand people apply, and they twelve. Screenwriters get accepted. And I was, and she goes, Well, you have to write it. I was like, Well, how long does that take? And she said, Like, think about it as a rough cut to a feature doc. And I was like, That takes like a year, at least. And she's like, Yep. And I was like, What? I went into Amazon, pitched it with an outline. And Amazon, by the time I got to the car, David and I, by the time we got to the parking lot, Amazon called WME and made a screenwriting deal and a directing deal. They said we want it, and then I set off for the next two years to write the screenplay. Did this? Did event got rejected? The best thing never happened. I got rejected from the Sundance Screenwriting Lab. I I was like, how can you reject me? They're like, because it's not good enough. And it was the best thing because they were right, and I rewrote it and rewrote it and eventually got into a intensive, which is funny because it was sponsored by Will Smith and Jada Pinkett for People of Color. When I, got into the pro- I got through the program of Screenwriters of Color. Hmm. It is coveted, hallowed ground. They all come back to advise you and five weeks put you through like hell camp. And that's how I learned, you know, really learned to not be f- afraid of actors. And
1: Well, I love that rejection for you too. And honestly, I can't imagine it not having that type of a learning curve for anyone, even if you've spent your life in media. You know, it's just such a, a level of rigor to storytelling. Also really just being in awe of of the transition you were able to make into scripted. So want to celebrate you. Thank you for that, pretty amazing. Wasn't easy. Relatedly, another big event, restructuring of Hollywood, the business of media and entertainment more broadly. Anyone can look up what's happening with, with labor, but I'm curious more broadly, how you are feeling about the, the future of the business of, of media, film, entertainment.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, I wish I could say I was optimistic and that I had this sort of, you know, hopeful, you know, way of thinking about Hollywood, but I don't. It it depends on how you're looking at it. But America has, you know, taken the step back respect to progress and human rights and race Relations and it's just like a battle, and there's always been a battle, but the battle also is in in Hollywood because it also happens in Hollywood. George Floyd happened, and a lot of things for Black Americans came out of that, including High on the Hog, and I benefited from that first with translating Ta-Nehisi Coates between the world and me into a a pandemic. Special with Angela Bassett and Oprah and Mahershala Ali and all the greatest actors in the on the planet, black actors in the planet, you know. Then took on the sixteen nineteen project with Nicole Hannah Jones and Oprah, and that was an amazing experience. We just won the critics' yeah, congratulations award last night for the series. Yeah, thank you. And then I went after in the middle of it all, Ibram X Kendi's stamp from the beginning because Ibram X Kendi had the number one best-selling book on the nonfiction in America, uh, the New York Times lists uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist, which was the book for a year. It was number one on the... Over a year, uh, number one on the New York Times
1: best... You had to be there.
0: But Stamped from the Beginning was number six on the... New So he had two in the top 10. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want a trifecta. I want the three big anti-racist thinkers in America, ta Coates, Nicole Hannah-Jones... Ibram X. Kendi. I want a trifecta. I want all three. I want to do projects with all three. I want to take all three of those works, those seminal works that were transforming the country that everyone was talking about. And then the backlash happened, and there were no more mass demonstrations and protests, and the racial reckoning was over. I equate it to like all the buyers went to the supermarket and they went to the black aisle and they, they grabbed everything they could get. And then they got home and they're like, what are we going to do with all this black shit? (laughs) And now they don't want it because no one's interested anymore in it. And so in the documentary space, it's just only celebrity, you know, commercial stuff, you know? So the documentary industry is suffering and documentary filmmakers are suffering and, and important stories aren't being told. One of the things that Stamped is about, it's about not just how these racist ideas about Black people are disseminated through popular cultures, but it's also about the resistance. We always resist, and we resist translates into policy, and then it morphs into something else. Out of all of this, I feel now is the beginning of a resistance movement in Hollywood for people of color, for Black people, where we're going to figure out how do we get around? Why do we need these gatekeepers? You know, the, the white men who sit at the top of this company and make tons of money. There is a backlash to them.
1: We're back and, to asking those same questions, though, right? It's before uh, yeah. the reckoning. It's like we were asking those same questions. How do we? Yeah. How do we pick the, the law? Same
0: questions. They fired all their diversity people. Oh, I know. You know,
1: the diversity
0: became the word. Even the Academy of Muslim Pictures, Arts, and Sciences fired their diversity person. I know. Like, they got, they were like, we don't need you guys anymore. Bye-bye. But Black people are the most resilient people, and my eyes, in the world. And then definitely, and Black Americans are resilient because we have to be resilient. We we are the true keepers of democracy, the true believers in the ideals of democracy. And we fight for democracy. And because of our fights for democracy and through through various movements, we have held America. We keep saying, you know, you're going to be held up to these standards. And the same thing, we will continue to do that and something will come out of it. So I guess I'm now being hopeful because I believe something great will come out of the backlash that we are experiencing now the white supremacist backlash, which also exists in Hollywood. Hollywood was founded on racism, The Birth of a Nation, the first Hollywood big kind of blockbuster film. It has been the number one disseminator of of racial ideas and racial stereotypes. And it still is. I made stamp from the beginning because first I'm like, okay, let me try to educate people on race ideas because Ibram X. Kendi is banned. Stamp from the beginning and how to be an anti-racist, he's probably one of the most, if not the most, banned author in America. You can't ban Netflix. Right. You can't ban Netflix. Texas, Florida aren't going to say ban Netflix. (laughs) Right. So anyone has has access to be educated around how these racist ideas are damaging to everyone, not just black americans but these policies hurt white americans and they don't even realize it so by hollywood you know and how many times do we have to go through this no yeah, market for black exactly. content, Black movies and then it does blockbusters and it's amazing and they're like but they still because of these racist ideas they still don't green light our projects so we have to find different ways of reaching people. And that's happening. You know, that's happening. It's a battle and we'll continue to fight. And I'm a warrior in the front lines of the battle. So I feel like that's what I'm doing. I'm battling.
1: I feel like that's what you're doing too. I I feel like that's what you're doing. I so appreciate your, your candor in naming the dynamic, you know, as people The both of us who have benefited from a very strange um, set of circumstances and everything that goes along with it, in my view, the responsibility to be intellectually honest about what happened and then also how we move when we are in positions to make a difference, as you have been. Every sector, when you go back to the origins, when you, when you do stamp from the beginning, you know, racism is often what you find. So that makes sense. Yes.
0: Yes. I, I do want to say that I'm excited about season two of High on the Hog. I was doing an interview um, with, I don't know who it was. Oh, it was the New York Times. Um, and I was saying... What's exciting for me about season two of High on the Hog is that we've now included queerness
1: Mm -hmm. in
0: the story of Black food and culture. It shouldn't be radical, but it is because you didn't see Black people on TV talking about food and their culture, but you damn sure didn't see queer people, queer Black people. Mm-hmm. Talk, talking about that space and that and that that is part of the season. Is it is necessary and and important. So I'm really proud of that part of season two.
1: I completely agree. I think two of the most entertaining for me personally scenes the party in LA and then also just kicking it with Devon Francis, who's an unbelievable chef. Well, so I hear you. You know I. I don't know how many different ways to say that Black people are not a monolith, but I do feel that this second season did a really good job of of showing and not telling. I appreciate you naming that as well. Yeah, yeah. season two. Really,
0: really, really exciting. And people are really excited. And no matter where I go, no matter uh, all these sort of film festivals and screenings all over the world, when I mention High on the Hog, I always get a cheer. It means so much to 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 black Americans.
1: Appreciate you letting me know that I, I will never get over how much that the show means to people. It is such a profound honor that I almost can't handle it. You know, I, I sometimes really have to <laughs> step outside of my own body to, to receive, you know, that type of love, because in a way, like, I also feel it, even though I was the, the vessel and the um, embodiment. It's yeah, also yeah. what I've wanted to see and what I've known had the capacity to change culture. And so I, I feel it on that level as well, you know, um, as an advocate for these types of stories and recognizing all of the things that had to go right the unusual set of circumstances the moment you know the moment ends the window closes so you know just the urgency of of understanding when we do have leverage when we do have those moments to push through and i'm so grateful that so many of y'all and that you push through in that tight window and so many gifts um were were given and received as a result of that so there's a lesson in there
0: we did it steven we did it we did it and um let's do it again let's do season three (laughs)
1: let's do it again if i can catch you thank you for your time roger i really appreciate you
0: thank you thank you steven
1: Thank you for listening to The Stephen Satterfield Show. You can follow us and learn more about the show at Whetstone Media on Instagram, YouTube, and online. WhetstoneMedia.com. That's W-H-E-T-S-T-O-N-E-Media.com. We'll be back next week. Peace.